once you start editing and putting the stories in order and they're in conversation with each other, it's a whole nother thing. It it levitates to a whole nother level. You know what I mean? So that was that was really exciting to see. Hello, everybody, and welcome. You're listening to SFF Addicts, a bi-weekly panel podcast about science fiction and fantasy literature, as well as the occasional jaunt into the wider SFF industry. I'm your host, Adrian M. Gibson, and today's bonus episode is my interview with SFF editors Cherie Renee Thomas, Ogenechavwe Donald Ekpeki, and Zelda Knight. Cherie, Ogenechavwe, and Zelda are the three editors of the new short story collection, Africa Risen out now through Tor.com Publishing. Each of them has a different level of experience in the SFF editing world, as well as different perspectives. From Cherie's work on the award-winning Dark Matter anthology, as well as various science fiction and fantasy magazines, to Zelda's work in indie publishing, and Ogenechavwe's upbringing in Nigeria, they all bring so much to the table for this collection. That's why it was so exciting to hear how Africa Risen came to fruition its potential for highlighting new and upcoming authors alongside bigger names, as well as the importance of community building in African and diaspora speculative fiction. Also, a quick note, Cherie had to dip out of the call about 45 minutes in, but Ogene Chavwe and Zelda were able to stay with me until the end. If you have any feedback about this episode, questions, comments, counters, and the like, send me an email at sffaddictspod at gmail.com or hit me up on Twitter at SFF Addicts Pod, or at Adrian M. Gibson. All right, now on to my interview with Cherie Renee Thomas, Ogene Chavwe Donald Ekpeki, and Zelda Knight. Here we go. All right. Welcome, everybody, to another author chat here on SFF Addicts. And today we're doing something special. We're going to be talking with the three editors of Africa Risen, which is a new anthology coming out from Tor.com in November on the 15th. And first up is Cherie Renee Thomas. She is a, an award-winning writer, poet, and specfic author. She's also the editor of the magazine of fantasy and science fiction, associate editor of the historic literary journal Obsidian, and has edited numerous anthologies, including the award-winning uh, Dark Matter, which is fantastic anthology. So thanks for being here, Cherie. Thank you. You forgot my, my favorite new things. What is it? New York Times bestseller, thanks to Jamel Monet. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you, memory, God bless her. The memory, <laughs> yeah, the memory librarian. Yeah, yes, yes, and the wonderful collaborators. Thank you so much. It was great. And also um, a Hugo Award finalist for the first time. Woo-hoo. So that was very fun. Yeah. Congratulations. Thank you. And next <laughs> up we Black have... Panther. And Black Panther, too. <laughs> and Black Panther, my God, yes. Yeah. And we've also <laughs> got uh, Ogunechavwe Donald Ekpeki with us. He's a Nigerian specfic writer and editor. And his fiction and nonfiction have appeared in publications like Omanana Magazine, Tor.com, Strange Horizons, and more. So welcome to the show. How are you? Fine, thank you. Yeah, happy to have you here. And last up is Zelda Knight. She's a USA Today bestselling author, British fantasy award-winning editor and bookseller. She's also the publisher and editor-in-chief of Aurelia Leo, an independent Nebula Award-nominated press in Louisville, Kentucky. So happy to have you with us, Zelda. How are you? Hello, hello, everybody. Yeah. Thank you. in Salt Lake City now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'll take my bio. <laughs> representing Utah. All right. So (laughs) before we get started, I just wanted to, you know, congratulate the three of you. It's not out while we're recording this, but it will be out by the time this is released. But congratulations on the release of Africa Risen. How are y'all feeling about it? Yeah, there we go. (laughs) I'm feeling so excited. I got my author copies. I freaked out. (laughs) It's a beautiful cover too. Yeah, it's, it's, we're so, so lucky. Um, it's just um amazing, wonderfully, wonderful collection of writers. I cannot wait for everyone to get a chance to read these stories. <laughs> yeah, me too. Yeah. And uh just to to start off to share with viewers and listeners a little bit about yourselves, you know, I wanted to know 
you know, what was your relationship with SFF been throughout your life? And then how did that kind of transition into publishing and specifically editing? So Cherie, we'll start with you. Hey, I'll try to be succinct because I've been in this field for three decades. Um, I've been reading science fiction and fantasy my whole life. Um, my parents are big science fiction, fantasy, and horror, in particular horror fans. Mm -hmm. um, so we are part of the, that community. We were not a part of the fandom that appeared at, at conferences and conventions right. and, and that. But we were a part of all of these amazing writers, bottom line. So <laughs> we, I like to think that we we helped fund perhaps one or two uh, King family vacations over the years <laughs> uh, because we had a lot of Stephen King books. Uh, mm -hmm. Fast forward, I'm in college. I had stopped reading science fiction because I didn't see a lot of representation in it. I was focused more on black literature at the time, particularly black mm. women's fiction. Um, I was reading and I was in a slavery and literature class at Rhodes and the professor um, included Octavia E. Butler's Kindred on the yes. syllabus. And that really opened my eyes to how you can tell a story, what types of history and themes could be a part of it. And um, along with Charles Johnson's Middle Passage, it just, you know, changed the trajectory of my life. Um, I was working at an independent bookstore in Memphis at the time. And a friend of mine who's a wonderful writer herself, Jamie Hadley, gave me a copy of Black Enterprise magazine that had a feature cover story on Black women in publishing. And I, I went on to write a letter, cold letter to them and found out that someone who was also on the um, board for the... National Museum of Civil Rights, which I was a student rep at the time, um, knew uh, what the editor who had created that imprint, which is still oh, in cool. existence today, publishes Ta-Nehisi Coates and so many other great people. Um, and he said that he would um, write a letter of introduction for me. And she said she had, if I got to New York, she would give me five minutes to talk. <laughs> That's all you got. Get up here and talk. That's to me. all I needed. And so yeah. I eventually moved to New York with my uh, eldest, who was very small at that time. People thought we we're going to die and be mugged. <laughs> so I like to laugh in the face of haters today because yeah. I was like, we, we thrived in New York City. And that's how I ended up working um, in editing um, in, in an editorial department at Ballantine Books at Random House and moving up and learning how to edit and um, and that's also the time period where the seeds were being planted for me to eventually work on what would become dark matter. So that's my introduction into publishing. Nice. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah it's like, fuck all the haters. I went to New York. And yeah. like, <laughs> <laughs> Some of those haters were sleeping on my floor, too, in Harlem. So we'll just say that. <laughs> and they went Hypocrites. on to love wonderful lives. Uh, so you be brave and bold. Yeah. <laughs> it's easy to do when you're in your twenties though. So <laughs> true, true. I love that though. And again, Chavwe, yeah. what about you? You know, in terms of what was your relationship like with SFF and then how did you eventually transition into fiction and editing and that kind of stuff? Uh my my journey to SFF was very, very chancy. Uh we happened to live near an old dilapidated library when I was very young. So oh, wow. when my parents were going out, they would just drop us there, you know. So we basically were babysat by the library. We were there. So we had no choice, no options but to read. They would pick us up in the evening when they were coming back. So, you know, you spend the whole holiday like that. And uh, they were... I started by reading everything, but there was C.S. Lewis and there was some classic fancy books there, which I connected with. And then, you know, reading just paused for a while because books are very difficult to get on the continent, on in Nigeria rather, um, like new books, you know, they are very expensive and they are only sold in, you know, certain places. So they're not very affordable, especially um, science fiction fancy books. So, uh, but luckily, another lucky incident happened. My brothers got into King's College in Lagos, which was one of the major schools. So uh, they could buy secondhand books and bring back every holiday. So they usually came back with a stash of books, you know, old secondhand books, you know. Um, reading was very, very askew, you know, because... It's like a huge bag. It's a huge pile. 
So you mm-hmm. just dip your hand in the pile and you pick every pick anything <laughs> you can find out. So the books came in all, right. all, all the orders. You know, you could be reading book 10 of the series for, <laughs> as the first book. And the next time you get to read a book from the series is book two. And the next book you might see is book seven. You know, you, you read what you saw because, you know, we couldn't get new books. So, mm. And uh, most of that kind of reading was very white because the books that get shipped down as secondhand books is usually the books that oversell, that oversaturate Western markets. So they're usually by white male authors. You know, they're usually fancy and they're usually, you know, traditional fancy. So uh, I, I, I tried writing for a while, but publishing is, is, is just as terrible as, you know, in, in a place where it's difficult for you to get books to read. Publishing is, you know, so, you know, it, it, it wasn't, it was like playing the lottery. It was mm. a very futile endeavor. So I, I skipped out on seriously writing until about 20... 2016, 2017, you know, with the internet, you know, and um, online literary magazines, you know, I started writing short fiction, sending my works out. I sold my first story in 2018. Then um, Zelda reached out. I won the No More Award in 2019. Then Zelda reached out in 2020 and asked if I wanted to edit the Dominion Anthology and... The rest is history. <laughs> Amazing. That's so cool. And Zelda, what about you? What was your sort of initiation with SFF and then getting into editing and all that? Yeah. So um, for me, I guess I would say I came a lot from the geek culture side of things. I was really into the video game, the manga, the comics, um, you know, the movies. Um, you know, that was really my introduction. And what I grew up on was uh, sci-fi and fantasy. I actually did not read a lot of sci-fi and fantasy books. I was obsessed with Ray Bradbury when I was younger um, <laughs> and read like all of his stuff. Yeah. But, you know, I wasn't the typical, like I was reading the Clark's World, Apex Magazine. I grew mm-hmm. up on, you know, certain things. I was really more into the geek cultural side of stuff. Um, mm-hmm. When it came to, I would say, editing, I first kind of cut my teeth actually in the game world. I was making uh, uh, visual novels, tabletop RPGs, stuff like that. Um, So a lot of geek cultural stuff. Um, But then one day I was really, really like talking with some author friends and stuff. And I was like, yeah, I really wanted to try my hand um, at indie publishing. Um, So that's kind of how I formed really a Leo, you know, was putting stuff out. Um, uh, As Ogachobe said, um, I had read his a shorter version of his work and, and I published it in Selene Quarterly, um, one of my magazines. It's the funk now. But uh, yeah, I just thought it was really fantastic. And I was like, man, we should really get together. I would love more collaboration with continental African writers and people in the diaspora. Um, I think that would be really cool. So we put out Dominion. And like you said, the rest is history. It's been a fun, exciting ride. And I'm so excited for Africa Risen. It has a lot of like familiar faces, like people I've, you know, I wouldn't say black publishing is a small space, but you kind of run in the same circle. So it's like, I'll see names. I'm like, man, you're still putting out amazing work or I read you there. (laughs) I finally get to say I published you. Wow. Like, this is awesome. Or edited you. Um, So yeah, I'm really excited. Um, But yeah, I would say, um, Outside of Ray Bradbury, I would say I'm kind of the atypical editor. I didn't grow up on what you would call a lot of the classics of sci-fi fantasy. I would say I've watched pretty much every horror movie in English, Korean, and Japanese at this point, but I couldn't, you know, name off all the, you know, founding fathers of sci-fi that I really read. I was reading a lot of, like, alien romance and um, uh, space opera and stuff like that. No, but I think that that's so representative of what's going on in in science fiction and fantasy today, where it's like people are not only coming with diverse backgrounds, but they're coming back, they're coming with diverse trajectories of what they grew up on and the influences that they have. And it's so cool. It's like people who grew up on anime and stuff like that, more so than like classics like Tolkien or uh, Bradbury or, you know, the golden age of sci-fi or the golden age of fantasy or whatever. It's like, no, everyone's got diverse influences and and it's so cool to hear like yeah i read like alien romances and and watched like (laughs) japanese and korean horror movies and stuff like that i love it yeah 
And just to build on Zelda's excitement about Africa Risen, Sheree, I'll toss it back to you. I'm really curious, like, what were the origins of this anthology? Oh, my gosh. So um, you already know, uh, you know, I'd edited Dark Matter 1 and 2, and um, um, Ogini Choe and Zelda had edited Dominion. And they were going to work on a project, you know, I had always wanted to do a third volume of Dark Matter. And in fact, had put a call out. Um, it was going to be called Africa Rising at the time. Mm. Um, and it was the collection that I would have done first if I had, you know, any actual relationships with African writers um, from the continent and, and knew, you know, knew them. And also, I would say also if more African writers were actively in writing science fiction and claiming it as such, because that's a totally different thing. Mm -hmm. um, there was a time period where not necessarily for writers who are writing today, but there was a time period where people were very, let's say, dismissive of genre work mm -hmm. um they were very desperate to be validated in certain halls of literature with a capital l and they i guess they knew just on a pragmatic level that not at the time um speculative fiction wasn't being considered for Kane prizes and the heineman prize when it was still a thing and, and booker prize or the author miller prize and those kinds of things uh, the british uh, science fiction community wasn't I mean, never even acknowledged dark matter. So I'm just going to give you. So we weren't a part of the conversations then. I think they've done a great job of being more diverse uh, recently, but that was not the traditions in a lot of places. And in fact, when dark matter won its first world fantasy awards, I was really surprised, um, genuinely surprised um, because I didn't even know at the time that Octavia Butler or Samuel R. Delaney had, hadn't won that honor. And so I ended up being the first um, Black writer to win the World Fantasy Award, um, period, you know, <laughs> no matter the mm -hmm. genre. So that all of that was very new. And I was working in a in a field in which people only spoke of Octavia Butler and Samuel R. Delaney as writers of science fiction. And if they were more into it, they knew that Stephen Barnes wrote, or they knew that Charles L. Saunders had been writing since the 70s, or they could name uh, maybe Jewel Gomez if they were keeping up with um, smaller presses outside of the Big Five or the feminist press community. But it was really much a different environment than today. And this was before social media. And it was not as welcoming, I'll just say that, um, for me um, and some of the writers, though. Um, you know, we, you know, all of that began to change. So the, the origins of this comes out of a place of the past sort of, but also recognizing that there's a lot more hope and possibility today. And we changed the title from Africa rising. <laughs> Cause I remember OG and I having this conversation about, um, Backlash for the, you know, for that concept that as if Africa needed to be developed when it came to literature um, and we wanted to be more um, hopeful and recognize all of the good pioneering work that was being done mm -hmm. already. And of course, Dominion being a part of that for me, Dominion was a big part of that, um, of that work. So those are some I, of the, yeah, <laughs> I appreciate, I appreciate you bringing up the title because that, that transition from Africa rising and Ogana Chavoy, I want to get your opinion on this, you know, Africa risen, you, you each sort of like write about this in the introduction, you know, Africa isn't rising. It's already here. It's already risen. Yeah. Do you want to elaborate on that a little bit? Okay. Yeah, sure. Uh, but I'd like to jump in on some things that Sherry said. Um, Go for it. Cause her story intersects with mine, you know, on some very strong levels, which I guess it's the relationship between um, black writers on the continent and, mm -hmm. you know, in the US and the diaspora. You know, the, the what she said is, is very true. Um, speculative fiction, science fiction, fantasy, not being considered real literature. You know, it wasn't just, you know, it was everywhere, especially on the continent. You know, people were grappling with all these issues like, you know, I guess they were grappling with them everywhere, but there was this much. It it, it it was it was very strong how people needed literature to connect with our issues with slavery, with colonialism, with you know all these issues. So 
Science fiction fancy, nobody wanted to hear or see that. It's John Snobbery, and it's still a thing today. It's not gone, you know. So, yeah, it, it's, I could connect a lot, you know, when she said that. Um, it, it also contributed to there being less visible SFF writers on the continent, you know, because, I mean, nobody wants to. But but the larger problem, you know, because she said there were not a lot of writers, you know, um, associating as SFF writers. It's, it's an issue of access. Like I told you, getting SFF was messed up, was difficult, next to impossible. Writing SFF, publishing was flat out impossible on some level until the internet. And even when the internet came, I mean, Andrea is poverty capital of the world. It was unaffordable to a lot of people. So until publishing is the problem, you know, so I just wanted to chip in. Uh, that, no, I appreciate I think that. There, there are people who could always connect with SFF, who read SFF, even if it's the way I read it, very here and there. But I think it was a problem of access. I just wanted to chip that in. You know, access, they, they say blockage. So it's, it's, it's not that they didn't want to, it's that they couldn't, you know. So, you know, mailing, mailing your work physically all the way to the U.S., so imagine like F and SF, where you have zero point zero something percent chances of getting it. It's it, it's not possible, you know. So and then on top of yeah. that, it's like the mailing costs probably are more than what you would even receive for having that it's not even story more. published. It's impossible. I don't yeah. think we had infrastructure that could do that. Yeah, our post offices. I don't think they could do that at all. You know. So. And if they could, the I received digital submissions as well. And one of the South African universities shared my call for submissions. But I mean, it's very limited for, you know, one country, you know, one university, yeah. one country for the entire continent. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I definitely received digital, you know, submissions. But I just hey, no, I didn't have the relationship. Yeah. The, the internet wasn't, I, I get that the internet was accessible a long time ago. But it wasn't accessible on the continent in Nigeria until very recently. In fact, lots of people cannot afford to be online in Nigeria now in 2022. Mm-hmm. It's a very small part of our people like me who are online, we're the elite. Lots of people cannot afford, you know. Anyway, anyway, that's so I, I just wanted to chip that in, you know. Yeah, it's I appreciate more that. logistics. And you know access. So, um, yes, yes. Down to your question. Um, yeah, what was the question again? About the the transition from Africa rising to Africa risen. Oh, how yes, that kind yes, of... yes, yes, yes. Um, yeah, yeah, yes. Um, you know, there's there's this. Um, it's it's actually a complex thing because um, for me it's more like listening or looking at the environment and um, accommodating, you know, the ideals that other people will have and being able to see the other side of the story. You know, as honestly, as as, as um, far as I'm concerned, there's still a lot more work to be done. You know, you know, uh, you could say Africa has risen in terms of um, literature and um, SFF literature, but I still think that, you know, there's still a lot more that needs to happen. I don't think there's enough, there's, there's, I don't think we've we've maxed out the progress that we can. I mean, like we're talking about access. I was the first black writer resident on the continent to win the Nomo Award for African speculative fiction. That's an award that is exclusively for Africans. And I was the first black African on the continent to win it in 2019. You know, so the the problem of access is not entirely done yet. You know, but but at the same time, we can acknowledge that a lot of work has been done. Mm -hmm. And a lot of work was being done in the background even before it was clear. So, you know, for me, I guess Africa Reason is about acknowledging and seeing that work, you know, so. Yeah. 
then and and on that note of access i think it's it kind of plays into what the three of you acknowledged in in the anthology in terms of the authors that you are representing here and i wanted to touch on the selection process for the stories you know uh zelda i'll get i'll get your take on this first how did you go about you know selecting these stories but also what ogene chavoy was talking about in terms of the access and what what these incredible authors you know you have this diversity of authors from the african diaspora to people from the continent but also you have new and upcoming authors as well as people who are a little bit more established so how did you find that balance there and how did you go about you know pitching people on the anthology um receiving stories and and selecting them especially with this kind of notion of of access like who has the ability to actually send stories to the three of you you know yeah, um, I would say uh, for me, the um, selection process slash submission process for Africa Risen was really, really unique. Um, the first time I had co-edited was um, with Apeki, right? So it was it was difficult because like you have to balance two very different ideas of what makes a good story, right? Because I think mm-hmm. at the end of the day, a lot of writers, there's technical things, right? Like send it in the the format and the way we tell you to submit a story. But once yeah. you get past those dropo basics, I mean, my personal opinion, editing is very a very subjective field, right? What I think exactly. is excellent, both of them were like, oh, no, you know, that's not good. That's, <laughs> you know, right? And so I'm like, this story was the best thing I read, read like from the slush pile. So I think um, to your point, I think what worked in our favor is that we have a lot of diversity on our own team, right? Mm. You know, Sheree is really connected in the traditional publishing field, right? She can, you know, be like, hey, I know this person, this person are, you know, well-established. Ogachogwe is really connected, obviously, with what's going on, the pulse on the African continent, right? So you can really have your feelings out, talk to people and do that. I wouldn't say, you know, I'm top of the field in this sense, but I'm I'm I think I would say more connected with the indie field because indie publishing is pretty much where I am, right? Mm-hmm. I, a lot of the upcoming authors, right? I know them from the smaller mags where they're publishing, where they published with me. And I literally was like, Hey, um, mm-hmm. you need to submit a story. <laughs> you know, this is gonna be a big deal. You know, I don't it doesn't matter if it's gonna be these big names in this table of contents, get your story in, you know, co- get it considered, right? And so that I think that really helped us get the word out um, about it and also get some really, you know, heavy hitters in the field um, on the table of contents, plus these new and upcoming authors. Yeah, I love that. I, as I was preparing for this interview, I kept referring to you three as like the powerhouse trifecta of editors. So it's like, <laughs> but that, but you laid it out beautifully. It's like each of you has your hands in different different areas of, of publishing, whether it's on the continent, whether it's traditional, whether it's indie in America, the diaspora, that kind of thing. So I think it's really interesting that you, that you, you know, realize this throughout the process. And then you were able to work together based on each of your subjective, um, opinions of an, of a given story or, or what have you. Sheree, do you want to get in on this? Yeah. Um, OG and, and Zelda had worked together on, um, Dominion and and I had come to Dominion as a reader and a fan. Um, I really enjoyed it. I love the beautiful cover art. It really pulled me in immediately, mm-hmm. and um, I wanted to signal boost and celebrate um, this because it felt like for me it felt like a dark matter moment. It felt like a change. It, and I the last time I had that kind of excitement was when I um, um, met uh, Dr. Renato Anderson and um, when John Jennings invited me to come to Planet Deep South that they hosted, uh, which is a Black Speculative Arts Movement conference they had at Jackson State um, University in Mississippi, Jackson, Mississippi, where they're both alums. And to me, having been a part of Afrofuturism, like shortly after um, Mark Derry, the cultural critic, coined the term, definitely a part of it before that, but we didn't have the term then, right? Um, but being a part of the original Afrofuturism.net listserv and actually j- just now started to think of myself, yeah, I was one of the people that shaped the genre in terms of literature. Um, it, it felt like a very important time um, that was happening. And so... Zelda's right. We definitely have, have each of us have different tastes. Some of it overlapped. And so we were able to click 
you know, identify some stories that we all were like, yeah, yeah, that's a good, that one stands up and above, you know, mm-hmm. um, some of the others. Sometimes authors sent us more than one story. And so we had to kind of, um, when we, we, we had to pick, you know, which story that really stood out for us. And there were a few stories where we were like, I'm going to fight you on this. <laughs> you know, I keep thinking, oh, my life, I had to fight. You know, <laughs> it's like, you know, and then I kept thinking, um, you know, my experiences editing over the, t- the years, I know what it's like, what it feels like to have a book and the thing that you most wanted in there is not in there. Mm. You know what I mean? Because you got vetoed or something happened. Or they, or they, or it fell through. You weren't able to get them, you know, on past the, you know, to the contract or what have you. And, and then you just think, oh, what could have been, right? The road not taken. And I didn't want any of us to feel that way about any stories in the collection. And so we had, like, I guess I don't know if we call it a wild card or whatever, but there's some things we were just like, you, it's it's yours. You got it. <laughs> and I don't think we, none of us are going to regret it because. Once you start editing and putting the stories in order and they're in conversation with each other, it's a whole mm. nother thing. It t- it levitates to a whole nother level. You know what I mean? So that was, yeah. that was really exciting to see. Yeah. Cause I mean, there are, if I'm, if I'm remembering correctly, I think like 32 stories in the collection, which is quite a lot, which is, yeah. which is quite a lot, but, but I like how you, I like how you meant, how you say, you know, they're in conversation with each other. And I think that is really the key to a good anthology or short or short story collection where every story stands out on its own as a unique entity, but they are all in conversation with each other. And for me, reading Africa Risen, there was a big through line for me, which is the way that African traditions and folklore transcend the boundaries of time and geography and genres, even, you know, you know how I want to know how each of you feel about what I kind of refer to as like historical and cultural resonance, whether it's a a writer from the diaspora or whether it's a writer from the continent, there is a power and pride in one's heritage and history and memory and myth and how those things kind of infuse into them as an individual author writing their stories. Um, Sheree or Aganachavwe, Zelda, do you want to get in on this idea? I'm going to get yeah. it before I get emotional, if you don't mind, because I'm going to, <laughs> so I'm trying to keep it in. I'm at a crossroads right now, and just your questions are really sparking up a lot for me, but I'll just say, I'm thinking of legacy, and I'm thinking of the future in terms of changing the way I approach my editing work. Editing initially was started off as like a dream, so I could be around people who love language, around people who love literature, and I can get free books. <laughs> um, and at the time when they were Little doing shrimp and wine cocktail parties at book publishing houses, that was very exciting, you know. And then we got very budget conscious, and so those went away. Mm-hmm. But um, still, always can get the free books. <laughs> but um, I, it was also a means to an end because I wanted to be a writer, I wanted to be a published author myself. And so I thought, if I'm going to have a day job, let it be in the world of literature. Let me find out the the mystery behind the the Wizard of Oz veil and see what's what's behind there and how do you make a book? What's the sausage making part of it? Um, now working with the magazine of fantasy and science fiction, I'm more aware than ever that I'm also as an editor in the world of dream making. I'm making people's, some of their oldest like childhood rooted dreams come true by publishing their stories. And I'm thinking about the impact that Dark Matter had on publishing um, when it first came out in 2000. And the writers who were so kind and generous to, to trust me with their work when I didn't have a, you know, a reputation in the field at all and didn't have a huge publishing footprint for them to mm-hmm. look at and see. But these amazing writers I, like Octavia E. Butler, Samuel R. Delaney, Walter Mosley, Ishmael Reed, Amira Baraka, Wanda Coleman, you know, um, you know, and some of them are no longer with us, right? Uh, Tanana Reedu, Stephen Barnes, Jewel Gomez, and and Nalo Hopkinson, and all of these amazing new Pam Knowles, Anthony Joseph, like all of these writers uh, trusted me. And now I see where they are now. I remember having conversations with some of them about the dreams that they had for themselves then. And to see what they've been able to achieve over the years is important. So when I look at a book like Africa Risen, 
okay. And I hear OG talk about the very real pragmatic struggle it is for artists in the continent of Africa and abroad to even have access to some of these spaces, to have their stories be read by people around the world. I have to be reminded and humbled again to think that the things that I take for granted my, my, myself are not things that everyone can take for granted and that these stories are vital and that mm -hmm. these stories are needed and that for publishers to take the time and the space to create room for store, for collections like Dark Matter, for collections like Africa Risen, for Dominion, for Zelda to take on. I know what it means to be an indie publisher because I did it very briefly myself. And mm -hmm. I was like, not for me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> God bless you. Go forth and prosper. But <laughs> you have to have on 10 hats, right? And the skills of the most amazing accountant ever, right? And distribution, right? And so I think about Africa Risen and the possibilities for these writers. Some of them are already like superstars and some of them are emerging. And all of them, I think, are going to be fantastic in the future. And I just think of what two more decades, what we're going to be saying about these writers mm -hmm. in two more decades, one more decade, five years from now. Oh, uh, and we'll be able to say, wow, readers will write me like they do for Dark Matter. I read your, I read this story, you know, in this class or my, you know, I was in graduate school and we were studying this, or I use this with my family. We talk about this story or, you know, I'm very hopeful. That's all I can mm -hmm. say. Very hopeful. Me too. Ogane Chavo, do you want to get in here? Um, yeah. I mean, I, I would actually like to um, go back to the previous question, talking about the editing process. I, I wanted to acknowledge um, something. You know, writing and editing, it's it's a very cultural thing. It's... Mm. it's um, Identity plays a very huge role in how we process stories, how we tell stories, and how we receive them. You know, and um, editing a book like this that has, um, I mean, we're all black authors, but we come from different divides. You know, um, Sherry has been in professional publishing, Zelda has been in indie publishing. You know, and um, they're both in the US, and I've been on the continent. And, um, you know, not in any kind of publishing, but I've interacted with writers unofficially and their stories. It puts us at very different places, you know, how we receive, how we process stories. So that kind of editing requires a lot of trust and respect. I'll be honest with you. There are some stories in Africa recently. I don't know what the hell they are doing. I don't know why they are there. I, you know. But I trust my co-editors. Mm. <laughs> you know, I don't know what those stories are doing. And I'm sure there are some stories there that they don't they like, you know, you know, but but you know, that's the that's also the beauty and the strength of the anthology. <laughs> I was telling Cherry at some point that this anthology has everything. You know, it has action stories. It has issue stories. It has all kinds of narrative styles. It's complete. And that's because of the different places that we come from. We're able to infuse all this. So when, when you talk about Blackness, we have different facets, different styles of it. And that's because we're able to accommodate, you know, each other's, you know, perspective and positions. You know, and and um, you know, we're, we're coming from a place where there's 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 room for there's the possibility of friction. You know, because we're coming from different places. Uh, Sherry, for example, is the oldest person here and the most experienced. You know, so it's easy for her to impose that experience and say, you know, Zelda herself has been editing for about half a decade before we did Dominion together. So she's also far more experienced than I am. But despite that, like Sherry said, there are some stories that we were able to, that one editor can put their foot down and say, this is what I want. 
I, I was particularly able to do that. And it was, um, they were able to accommodate, you know, so it, it was a very, very, um, it was a very wonderful experience. Let me put it like that. And um, it's going to show, it's going to show in the final product, you know, when people get to read the book, they are going to see the effect of this kind of editing in mm. the book. So, yeah. Some yeah. of those stories have already been singled out as standouts. Yeah. yeah. So I'm like, I feel, I feel justified. I know you feel justified. <laughs> I was like, see, see, follow your instincts. <laughs> but that's the cool thing. It's like combined instincts. It's like each of you have your own, um, you know, I thought it was really cool in the introduction, how you acknowledge storytelling began in Africa. Humanity began in Africa and therefore storytelling began in Africa because we've been storytelling, you know, orally for millions of years. Yeah whether it's just expressed through body language or whether it eventually became language. But I love that. It's like storytelling is, is instinctual in a lot of ways. And that depends on your culture, your background, your family, so many different factors. But the fact that the three of you were able to come together and give your editing its own instinctual nature and then combine that where it's like, you're really satisfied that you picked this story. Cherie's really satisfied. Zelda's really satisfied. All of you compromised but you also collaborated and i think that's really telling when actually reading the collection and uh sheree i think you gotta jump out in a in a minute or two um do you want to just let people know where they can find you on social media before yeah. we jump out in? I'm on social media. I'm not the best on social media, <laughs> you know, um, but I'm on um, Twitter on at, at Black Pop Mojo just because Twitter didn't give me enough letters to put my full name. <laughs> <laughs> and so for many years, I was known by my hoodoo name of uh, uh, Black Pot Mojo, but Wanga Nigress is a whole nother conversation. So I didn't choose that. So that was that Black Pot Mojo. And also you can find me under my name, Sheree Renee Thomas, um, on Facebook and Sheree Renee dot Thomas is actually where I actually hang out more. And then the author page mm-hmm. kind of over there randomly. <laughs> so be careful which one you choose. <laughs> and, um, on, on Facebook, I mean, on Instagram, I'm under my name, Sheree Renee Thomas. And of course you can find, um, and subscribe and read the magazine of fantasy and science fiction and very exciting things are happening there. And um, I'm in the world and look for the, um, of course, my first novel that I ever finished that I'm happy with in the world. And Ooh. it's Black Panther, Panther's Rage yeah. just that's came so out right. on October the 11th. So it was Tuesday. So that's why you see me like, like, in like my child self is ecstatic. <laughs> <laughs> That's Amazing. Cool. That's so cool. <laughs> awesome. Well, Sheree, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we're going to continue you. with Zelda and Ogene Chavwe, but really happy that you could be here with us. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. I met Multiverse and... in Atlanta, so I'm enjoying myself. Awesome. <laughs> it's a great right. con. <laughs> Take care. And um, Ogene Chavwe, I want to I wanna touch on this notion of storytelling again, because I think you know, like I was saying, storytelling is a very personal thing for a lot of people, whether it comes mm-hmm. from their family, their culture, what have you. Why does, or for you personally, like what does storytelling mean for you and for where you come from? Okay. Um, I, I shared an essay with you, two dystopian for whom the continental Nigerian writer's perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because... Um, it it explains my connection with storytelling. You know, for me, it, it's, uh, I mean, earlier I talked about how um, speculative fiction was um, shunned. There's John Snobbery. It's not considered serious because people want to grapple with their existing realities and uh, mm-hmm. they feel that literary fiction, rea- you know, realism, helps them do that better. But yeah. I, I don't agree with that because I do exactly the same thing with my literature, with my speculative fiction. It helps me connect, process, and grapple with 
the existing realities of the day as a disabled person in Nigeria, as a Nigerian, you know, there's all this, there's all these things that come with being in Nigeria. Frankly, it's it's a lot of struggle. You know, I, I think that that's the one thing that is most synonymous with being Nigerian, struggle, not to sugarcoat it. So uh, for me, literature gives me an outlet to to process these things, to communicate with the world, to show, be seen, and be heard. And it's the same thing with um, editing and publishing. For me, it gives me a chance to to show that side of the story, to also help others tell their story and give them a platform to be seen and heard. Yeah, I really respect that. And and Zelda, what about you as someone who's in America as part of the African diaspora? Where does storytelling come into your life and and how does it how do, how do you feel about this like tradition of storytelling and how it's transcended from one continent to another and and become such an integral part of your life? Yeah, so I would say um, for me, in a more, I would say, academic sense, um, mm-hmm. my background, and I'm going to do a tangent and come back to your question, yeah. I'm actually a historian. That's like my background. Um, uh, so I, I'm all the way into a PhD right now. Um, and usually you would call it Africana studies, but this particular one is actually called Pan-African studies right so you know i'm deep in the weeds of this right (laughs) and it's always amazing to me um coming from you know a family that was obviously enslaved uh right uh from baltimore maryland i have um my great-grandma millie's great-great-grandma millie's and nathaniel's marriage certificate they were freed then they were slaves um right so they were freed after the war and a lot of the black americans actually don't even have that they can't even go back a great you know or a great great because so many disconnections and family so i'm really lucky to have mm-hmm. that can tell exactly where you know at least i landed if not where my lineage is so in a purely academic or familial sense i find it so amazing to see how many traditions survive you were talking about like how in this anthology, even though it's so diverse, there's so many people from the continent, all the countries there, all across the world, it's a lot of these historical trends and tensions that are you can see throughout all these narratives. And so for me, what I really love about Black storytelling, yes, a lot of times it can, um, I, I see reviews all the time, it was worth to me, and I've seen a couple already for Africa Ridson, the anthology gets really dark. Right. And, it, you know, it gets really dark. <laughs> and I always laugh at that. Right. Because I'm like, it, not really. I mean, this is pretty much the light side of what if you read at your historical documents were really happened to people. Right. This is the fantastic. <laughs> um, if you actually read the history, it would get really, really dark, I would say. <laughs> um, and so what I really love about it is that, uh, you know, a lot of it does come from historical trauma, but it also comes from, you know, us preserving traditions, you know, people from Haiti having similar stories and similar um, mythological sta- um, understandings of the world from people from the continent. So overall, I find specifically Black storytelling is always a wealth of knowledge and always makes me feel really connected because I'll read stories from people whose lives are uh, utterly different from me, even though we're both Black or we might both be Black females. Um, but at the same time, I can find these current of like I can really really relate to this experience so mm-hmm. for me I feel storytelling is relational you know you tell stories because you want people to hear them you want people to enjoy maybe something that happened in your day or just fit and so coming to stories like these it just makes you feel more connected to black people in general yeah I agree completely and you know Zelda as an indie publisher someone who's in the indie space um and then Ogunichavwe is someone who's come into it a little bit more recently. You shout out a numerous magazines and anthologies and indie publishers and stuff, stuff like that in the introduction. I wanted to get your take if there are any more, um, you know, whether it's a publisher or a magazine or an anthology, what have you, that you'd like to give a shout out to here that maybe you didn't mention uh, in the introduction. Ogunichavwe, yeah, do you want to yeah. start first? Okay. Um, I'll I'd like to draw attention to the Bridging Worlds anthology. It's an original nonfiction anthology. It's titled Bridging Worlds: Global Conversations on Creative Pan-African Speculative Literature in a Pandemic. 
it's basically pandemic nonfiction, a nonfiction mm-hmm. anthology about how writers coped with um, creating during the pandemic. Cool. It has Zelda Knight and Cheryl and Thomas in it. It has, um, you know, some of the most um, active editors, publishers, writers, and creatives in Africa and the diaspora. You know, Chimedu Mohegbo of Uncanny Magazine. It has, like I said, Zelda and Cherry. It has, um, you know, Shingai, Jerry Kagunda, um, Lisa Yvette Ndlovu of um, Voodoo Nuts. It has um, Maziwo of a Menana magazine and a lot of amazing writers. So while you're getting Africa reason for fiction, you can get that for nonfiction. Nice. I like that. And uh, Zelda, what about you? Yeah, I mean, we shouted out everyone under the sun in that introduction. So it's, <laughs> it was, it's it was a thorough. lot of shout outs. Yeah. <laughs> it was, it was yeah. thorough. But I would say um, one that I didn't shout out that I've been coming to their works uh, much more recently um, would be Neon Hemlock Press. It's a small press that mainly puts out um, queer, like science fiction and fantasy. I read a novella by Ebony Dunbar, Stone and Steel, and I really, really enjoyed it. Um, and they also put out Glitter plus Ashes, Queer Tales of the World That Wouldn't Die. Um, they've actually been winning some pretty big awards um, right now, but they publish a lot of queer Black authors, and I don't, mm. um, I haven't had a chance to read them before, and they're writing some awesome stuff. So if you want more Black Spectre fiction and you want to support indie presses, I would say Neon Hemlock is definitely someone to be looking out for, slash, you know, they're already well on their way to putting out some classics, I would say. Awesome. And Zelda, I'll get your take on this as well. And then we'll go back to again, Chavway. What role do these, you know, I would say like from collective projects, like a publisher or a magazine or an anthology, all the way down to individual authors, what role do they play in the overall mission and community building of African speculative fiction? Okay. Um, I mean, they all, they all play, um, they're all the part of the whole you know, all pieces of the mosaic, you know, everybody has, you know, they bring their story, they bring their contribution, and together we make up the whole of African, you know, speculative um, um, industry, you know, because I believe that no one story, no one, um, no one person's part is, is adequate to to build up the community mm. or you know I believe that it's going to require a combination of all of us, you know, all the different parts of us. Everybody's story is vital. You know, mm. no no one story can make up a culture, can build up, especially one that has been torn down as much as black and African communities and societies have been, which is why I'm very passionate about editing, publishing, and the things beyond just my writing. Because just, I can't do it alone. You know, Sherry can't do it alone. Zelda can't, you know, it's going to take all of us. You know, so that's what all those things mean to me. Everybody's piece is, you know, one more thing towards completing, you know, the big picture. Yeah, I love that. Zelda, what about you? Yeah, I think the main thing, um, you said it best, is the community building aspect because of structural barriers everywhere. Even if you're in the U.S., you know, publishing is still very much located in New York, which is one of the most expensive cities to live in in the world. And the rate, you know, the um, pay rates for people in publishing are not matching, being in one of the most expensive cities in the world. Um, So there's a lot of structural barriers, even if you're in the U.S., let alone if you're anywhere outside the United States of America, right? Um, So I think, you know, the roles that we all play is that community building and also, you know, putting people down when you see opportunities. You know, I can't um, tell you, you know, um, 
how many times I've seen a writer, you know, either a publisher, I've seen them in the space. They're like, hey, you, you really just submit to this. This is really, you know, good. This is uh, something you should do. Or, hey, this is happening. Hey, um, you know, do you know anybody, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah. I really do think the community building aspect helps you persevere <laughs> through all the structural issues that you'll see. Um, you know, at the end of the day, some people have a zero sum you know, idea of the world, everybody's competition, right? Um, but I mm-hmm. found a lot of times um, you thrive more when you see, hey, we're going up against something much bigger, okay, the white dominated publishing space, you know, if we work together, we can make a lot of real magic happen. So I think that's the main role from just the connection, fellow writer to writer, all the way up to publisher, which you could do for um, Black speculative slash African speculative fiction. agree with that. Yeah, I love that. And uh, just to close out, I would like each of you to recommend an African speculative fiction book that you really love and you want to share with everybody. I'll toss one out first. We were talking about him before we started recording, but Alex Jennings, really great guy. The Ballad of Perilous Graves is a fantastic book. Really cool, like surreal uh, urban fantasy set in New Orleans with music as magic. And I love that. It's like the coolest uh most refreshing like magic system that i've seen in a long time even though it's not super well defined i love the fact that music becomes magic in that book so shout out to alex really awesome guy uh do you have a recommendation um nothing at the top of my head right now let's shout out to dark matter by sheree's uh sheree's uh anthology which is a I think it was came out in like the early 2000s, but if you're going to read Africa Risen, I recommend checking that one out as sort of like a, you know, read Dark Matter, then read Dominion, then read Africa Risen. Those three come together really nicely. Uh, Zelda, do you have any any recommendations? I've been really on a novella uh, kick right now because mm-hmm. I'm working full time. I don't have time to really dive into deep worlds. So I would yeah. really, really recommend Flowers for the Sea by Zen E. Rockland. She has a lot of, or they have a lot of um, other uh, shorter stuff out too. Uh, but this this novella, I'm telling you, uh, it's, it's something. <laughs> and I can't tell you more without spoiling it, but you really need to read it if you haven't already. Yeah. And it's a novella. I'm totally on the same page as you. It's like, I love reading a novella as a sort of, uh, cleansing practice between, between longer fiction and stuff like that. It works really well, but, uh, Mm -hmm. Zelda shout out to Sheree. She had jump out for, uh, for a panel, but thank you all so much for taking the time to chat with me today. Um, can you please let people know where they can find you on social media? So Oganichavwe, we'll start with you. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at penprince, P-E-N, penprince underscore. And you can also check out my website, odekpeki, O-D, then ekpeki, E-K-P-E-K-I dot com. Awesome. And I'll link to all this in the descriptions as well so people can find that really yeah. easy. Zelda, what about you? Yeah, you can uh, find me pretty much anywhere on social media at author Z Knight. Knight as the one with the sword, um, starting with a K, uh, pretty mm-hmm. much everywhere. Um, but also, I have all my links on my website, authorzknight.com, and that has all my pen names, all the stuff I'm getting into. Awesome. And Africa Risen, by the time this is released, Africa Risen will be out, so you can pick that up on Amazon, brick and mortar, wherever you can through tour.com. So thank you all so much for, for joining me. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having us. And there we have it. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed my chat with Cherie, Ogenechavwe, and Zelda. If you like this episode, please subscribe, rate and review us on your favorite podcast app, and share us with your friends. It helps a lot and we greatly appreciate it. As well, don't forget to subscribe to the FanFi Attic YouTube channel, where this and every other author interview is available in full video. SFF Addicts is part of FanFiAttic.com, so make sure to check us out there for the latest in book reviews, essays, and all things sci-fi and fantasy as well as the full episode archive for the podcast. All music comes courtesy of the talented Astronauts.
Check them out on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash S-T-R-O-N-O-Z. All links for the episode are also available in the show notes. Now, keep reading, keep imagining, and we'll see you next time on SFF Addicts.